listening to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrilow and I have another great guest lined up for you today. Now this podcast, as you know, it's about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people that are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we're going to be diving deeply into topics at the intersection. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. But before I introduce today's guests, I want to ask a favor. Now, you probably know what it is because all podcasters ask for this, but it won't take a minute and it would make a huge difference to us. Would you please go to iTunes or whatever app it is that you're listening to, subscribe and leave a rating and review. It helps us share our message of inspirational change with as many people as we can. And it also helps our guests get their messages out to more people. So thank you. Okay, our guest on the podcast this week is Joe Edwards. Now, Joe is the managing partner of Good Karma Media, a data-driven marketing, public relations, and social impact agency born out of an authentic passion for social and environmental change. It's also the UK's first social enterprise data-driven agency. Now, Joe has worked in marketing and consulting for over 15 years now before entering the social enterprise space in 2009. He's been a passionate advocate of the sector and believes social enterprises offer their clients sustainable, tangible, and ever-increasing value as they scale. And if you want to find Joe on a Saturday night, look no further than the front of the stage because he's also a lead vocalist. So welcome, Joe. Thank you very much, Jane. I appreciate that. Um, and, and the segue to, to the singing, thank you. <laughs> No worries, Joe. No worries. I didn't know that about you. So it's really quite surprising. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I'd really love to um, dig into our title because we've got a great title today and it's called New Paradigms of Connectivity and Healing in Business. And that just opens up so many different ways we can go with our conversation for me. Mm -hmm. And I want to dive in. But before we do, <clears throat> I just want to ask you, you know, our listeners, most of them probably don't know you and they've just heard your professional bio. So tell us someone about, you know, the human behind the bio. Who's he? Um, okay, Jane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that, the question, the question sometimes we don't like to address sometimes, isn't right. it? I suppose, because, because ultimately we're ultimately, and thank goodness, I guess we're flawed. Um, but no, I'm a, uh, I'm a family man. I have a, a wonderful wife and, and three daughters. Um, and, uh, when I'm, when I'm not working, um, as the title alluded to, although it hasn't been for a while because of the COVID situation, but when I'm not working, I love to sing with a couple of bands, um, which is a great passion of mine, um, a bit of rock and a bit of blues, um, and just, just sort of growing old disgracefully, I suppose, <laughs> um, with regards to that, um, uh, love my rugby, like to read, um, and uh, I guess, I guess, I guess the most interesting thing, I suppose, um, or uh, potentially about me, I guess, is that is really where I started. And you know, I was raised in an environment that was a little bit unusual. My dad was a was a healer, um, and worked very closely with uh, Orthodox medicine to try to drive healing forward. 
um, in the UK back in the 80s, wrote a couple of books at the time um, and was, was full time in that work for, for the last 20 years of his life. And I think that that shaped me enormously. I grew up in, in, in a very interesting environment as a result. Um, and so I have an interest in, in healing uh, in that area and also, I guess alternative medicine as well since, uh, since a very young age. Mm. And you know that's it's quite unusual that isn't it because when I when I think about that right and you growing up there with your with your dad as a as a healer and really understanding what you know I might term some of the more intangible aspects of life mm. and then here you go you know you're not just in marketing you know you're in data-driven <laughs> marketing yes. Yeah, it's it, it, absolutely. There's definitely some some um, diametric opposition going on there, isn't there? I suppose, um, definitely. Uh, and and it, that was interesting, actually. I think I think when I ended up in the data industry in the sort of early and mid nineties, um, at, at the time it was it was a means to an end. I enjoyed the I quite like the analytical side of it to a degree. I quite like the fact that there was an aspect of measurement, um, and uh, and but to and to a degree actually i think that that to a degree resonated because pop even with the healing was always very very keen on making sure that his work was was scrutinized and measured you know his view was if something's true it'll stand up to questioning and if it isn't it won't um and so that i guess there was a there's some emphasis there coming from coming from pop but um yeah i ended up in data and it was a means to an end and i i would say for a good 15 years in the industry, uh, if I'm honest, beyond it being a means to end, I wasn't entirely sure why I was there, but, but the experience um, and expertise that I gained in the industry is, is something that's very useful now because, you know, um, being able to, being familiar with how to, with, with a reasonable budget, how to efficiently and effectively reach millions of people um, and help brands reach millions of people through effective uh, online marketing. And database marketing um there's some energy there and there's there's a useful position potentially um in order to communicate more possibly and that's that's i think you know that's how i make sense of my time in that industry um and what i'm trying to do now i guess mm-hmm. yeah and what is it you're trying to do now mm. um well right now um th- i guess there's la- layers of answers there jane um yeah at the at the sort of perfunctory level, the narrow level, if you like, um, what I'm trying to do is to uh, do more good with my life. So there's a personal drive to to create some purpose um, and to be purposeful. Uh, uh, and certainly, the evidence is is indicating quite strongly that more and more of us um, in the working world want this. I was struck by some research I saw quite recently for a blog I was writing. Um, uh, that something like 75% of um, millennials um, are interested in working in purposeful businesses and will consider a brand's um, purpose journey before they make a decision of where to work. And given that I think by 2025, our workforce is gonna be made up of 75% millennials. Um, This change is definitely coming. Um, so on a personal level, purpose, and I do that through Good Karma Media, which, as you, you referenced at the beginning, is the first data-driven uh, marketing agency in the UK that's also a registered social enterprise, which is 
um, fantastic. Um, mm, yeah, congratulations. Um, thank you. Uh, I know it's got a claim, but we 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 sort of we were hesitant initially to to say, like, are we the first? You know, is that is that really a claim we can make? But according to SEUK, and actually a couple of weeks ago, we had a lovely chat with PwC, um, and and they their view was also that we were the first. So um, that's great. Um, but there have to be more, obviously. But uh, doing that, doing that is my kind of day job, and how we create purpose and do what we do. And also, I hope uh, we're achieving something through leading by example, because the my interest and my passion has always been to see business itself um, across all verticals um, become more conscious and and uh, contribute to um, people and planet. Really, um, that's been something I've been. Uh, on about in one form or another for the last 20 years I guess mm. so and yes that that's the, that's like that's I guess the goals in the two layers both the, the macro and, and and the micro focus yeah and I love how you're weaving in there kind of you know your your personal kind of passion for creating purpose but then almost bridging it into what you're doing professionally into the business now, you mentioned that, you know, when you were setting up Good Karma Media, you know, there was some like, I don't know, it sounded a little bit like a, a dialogue that you had going on in your head, which was, you know, are we going to be a social enterprise? Are we not? And I'd love to, you know, for you to share something about that decision. You know, what were the pros and cons that you were kind of holding when you were mm. making that decision, how to set up and, and, and what would be good going forward? Um, yeah, I, there's, there's a number of different structures in existence. Mm -hmm. I, uh, as far as I'm aware, there's about three in the UK, um, that are relevant. One is, um, B Corp, which is also yeah. USA based. And I think that came over from the States about 2015. Yeah. Um, then you've got a social enterprise, a registered social enterprise with something called SEUK, social enterprise UK, um, which is sort of the, the monitoring body in this country. Yeah. Um, and that sort of sits in the middle, um, I think, in terms of its um, hardwired commitment, if you like. Yeah. And, then, and then the most uh, committed, I guess, one could say, but I think there's also some limitations with the, with the structure, um, is the community interest company over here. We've got something called the CIC. Yeah. Um, and we were looking at, at those three structures. And for me, the decision to go the, what I would call the middle route, the social enterprise route. And what that means is that in your articles of association, you have to commit to at least 50% of your profit being redistributed in, back into the wider community, into the greater good to support people and or planet in some way. Um, so they don't have to be, it's a sort of demi-profit model. So there's still, there's still a 50% profit and 50% um, contribution, if you like. Yep. community and that to us felt right um this 50 50 balance if you like um for me personally it reflects a little bit more the yin yang perhaps that exists mm -hmm. within us within us all um you know I, i'm not a i'm not a hundred percent saint i'm not a hundred percent sinner um as a human being i'm normally you know we're, we're, most of us are somewhere in the middle yeah. and and it, i suppose in that term it reflects the other concepts of self and other is really what we're saying um and the 50 50 model just felt right in terms of this balance between contribution um towards self and other if that makes sense yeah um because 
Yes, because you know uh, we are part of the equation uh, indiv as individuals, as as much as the the collective is too. Um, it, 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 you know they're, they're integral and, and interconnected. In fact, I'm just reminded as we're talking of a wonderful quote from which I used a long time ago in my thesis from Einstein, where he likened in his social commentary when he veered away from physics, he likened the necessity of the collective and the individual working together. Um, in that, in that, it was an interesting view, but that the collective is is the soil from which, you know, great individuals sometimes can can grow. Um, these flowers um, can grow and 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 create um, an environment that uh, can be more adva advantageous and advanced. But it's all absolutely essential. This concept of and, and whilst that's a, uh, an, you know an interesting view to have, but I, I think I think the idea of the collective and the individual working together and finding ways to harmonise that um, is the, both the challenge and the stimulus, um, and it's exciting when you do. And that's what a social enterprise at its heart is about a good social enterprise is about offering a vehicle for an individual to have an opportunity to achieve their goals um, and achieve some of their personal drives but but through the model um, intrinsically you're sort of harnessed to uh, intrinsically doing greater good um, as a byproduct as a day-to-day -day byproduct of what you what you enjoy doing if you're if you're lucky um, and what you're good at doing perhaps um, uh, uh, you know, if less, perhaps a bit less lucky, if you're just good at something, um, then, then that gives you a, a direction to head in, I think. Yeah. yeah. And as I'm listening to you, you know, it just all makes such perfect sense. And I can, there's a part of me as I'm listening to you, that's almost a little bit shocked that all businesses don't do this, <laughs> which I know sounds very naive, but it just makes sense. And yet here we are with this business environment that is really quite different to that. Yes, it is. Um, it, it, I mean, it, it is growing and it is changing. Uh, there's, there's no doubt that change is happening. Um, and I think that the best overview that I've heard was from um, a guy called Sir Ronnie Cohen, uh, who was the, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Sir Ronnie quite a few years back. Um, but he was known as the father of venture capital in the 1970s. Um, and uh, it's a very interesting, successful guy, but he's been a very passionate advocate of the social enterprise sector um, since his inception in the UK. And Sir Ronald's view was that um, the social enterprise space and the conscious business space, let's put it like that, um, had a 30-year growth journey, um, at the end of which um, we would see conscious business becoming the mainstream. Mm. And based on the beginning of that journey at least in the uk that means we're a third of the way through that predicted time frames from sir ronald um right. so we're, we're a third of the way in and on and on you know most of the business most of the business growth curves that you'll see you've got this slight hockey hockey stick effect yeah the beginning of the exp the exponential growth in the curve normally starts at about a third of the way in mm. so I, i'm wondering um and many of us who've been in the social enterprise space for the uh, in the UK in the last 10 years, since sort of that, that term was coined, I guess, um, are wondering if those first 10 years were, the, were perhaps the, you know, what we would call the hard yards. Yeah. Um, and now we're starting to just see things beginning to pivot. And, and if Sir Ronald's right, the next 20 years should see more, you know, more and more interesting acceleration of what we would call conscious business. Mm. 
Well, I hope he's right, because that's certainly what we take a stand for. <laughs> we share that um, yes. together. So I, I really do hope he's right. Um, so our title, New Paradigms of Connectivity and Healing in Business. Mm. So tell me about that. I mean, what does that mean to you, Joe? Um, yeah, why, why, why that title? Mm. I think that comes from the exercise that I have been an, uh, attempting and yeah. just being, uh, I suppose, very open and authentic, Jane. Yeah. Um, with you and I appreciate that both you and your audience are um, the types of people who resonate with that level of authenticity I would I, I believe yeah um, is that um, this concept which I'd created about 10 years ago called good connection when we started the journey myself and a fantastic team um, was really I realized after creating it and I'll, I'll sort of explain why it was a manifestation of where I'd grown up um, and I realized after creating it this 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 model which is driven by data and is effectively um, the idea was a social network um, which is you know a great challenge given the current climate and the, the tech giants that exist at the moment but the idea was a social network that enabled connectivity that we all experience through the internet and through the use of our data but did a bit more than just connect us. Um, it would harness that connectivity, harness the revenues from that connectivity, and redirect significant proportions of our energy um, in connecting with each other um, back to where it's needed, um, back to the earth, back to people in need, back to communities. Um, and I just felt very strongly, having spent 15, 20 years in the data industry and, and just knowing how data could make money and how, and you know, today data is referred to very much as the new oil, I suppose. Mm. And having an appreciation of how that was monetized, I, um, but from a user's perspective, when we use these systems, you know, they're, they're invariably, well, they appear to be free, but, you know, they're free in terms of not costing us any cash that cost us time. Um, and they're very cleverly geared to make sure we spend as much time on them as possible. I would hasten to add, perhaps a bit too much time. Um, but I felt to myself, if we're going to be engaged with this level of connectivity and this technology moving forward, then we have to find ways to, to leverage that in a more interesting way, and in a way that makes more of a purposeful difference in the world, and that frankly celebrates our connectivity with each other mm. in a more appropriate manner than, than is happening at the moment. And that's what Good Connection was in a nutshell. It was, a, it was a, a social network that would redirect revenues that we would generate um, back towards people and planet. And it would do so in a democratic way so that people had the option of choosing what they wanted to support. Um, uh, and I realized that after creating it as a concept, that actually um, it was really designed as one big healing machine. Because... Wow. Um, you know from where I came from as a child uh, and I thought gosh is, is this is this the attempt to create some some massive healing machine and I thought the more I sort of played with that analogy the more I realized perhaps it was true because what I know from from healing is that Jane you have to excuse me someone's knocking at my door can we pause for a moment and I'll dive back and yes, sure. pause the recording I'm so sorry about that gosh I was in a flow there um, where do you want me to pick up from, Jane? Um, so you're talking about one big healing machine. Yeah. 
Okay, let me go from there. Um, yes, if I just give it from, from there and you can flow it in as you yeah. wish afterwards, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah, so the idea of good connection was this was one big healing machine. I realized it was a bit of an homage to, to, to my father. And the more I played with that, um, that analogy, the more I realized this perhaps is true because, because what I know of healing is that um, a good healer is the instrument rather than the creator of the, of the healing energy. And um, I'm, I'm so sorry, there's a bit too much noise going on in the kitchen. Um, we just had one of our food deliveries. You know, these precious slots that you get. Um, what's the best thing to do? Can, I need to probably help. Could, could we pause for five, five minutes and, um, and I'll come back, Jane? Is that possible? I'm so sorry. Okay. I didn't realise we had one scheduled for this time, but um, it's going to be, it's just a, quite a lot of noise going in the background. It's a bit distracting. I, um, I can't hear anything, just so you know. Oh, can't you? No. Oh, okay, fine. Oh, well, <laughs> well, well, in that case, fine. In that case, if you can't hear anything, then we can carry on. All right, can um, I just, before you start, can, mm. I just want to put some silence so that the team can find this space. So if we just be quiet from like just 10 seconds, they'll be able to find it easier. No problem. Okay, when you're ready, you can go. Thank you. So playing with that analogy, I realized, or I, I, I felt very strongly, um, yes, it is one big healing machine because uh, healing goes where it's needed. The healer's the instrument. Sometimes I know that when, when Pop was doing his work, he wouldn't always know what the issue was sometimes with the patient or they would have something which they didn't bother to mention to him. And, um, and you know, lo and behold, the issue in that particular area would, would quite often clear up too which Pop felt very strongly just proved that it, you know, it certainly wasn't him. He was purely the piano rather than the pianist, I suppose. Um, and, um, and I realized that you know, if good connection was to manifest, that that would be what it would achieve. It was, from a user's perspective, it's free and it's effortless. So there's no sort of pain involved in using it. Um, and so the idea of this effortless creation of, of energy going where it's needed wherever that might be in the world, based on the users that are using it. And I realized, yes, it is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big healing machine that could, that could help to make things better, basically. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's hence, hence the link between connectivity and healing. I mean, there's many other links, <laughs> to say the least, but that's perhaps the most direct route is that I think good connection is an expression of uh, the idea and the concept of good connection is an expression of, uh, of, of, of that idea if you like and that formation yeah. uh, as, a, as a young man it's so interesting because as you're speaking it's almost like i've got like a triangle I, I tend to think in models and frameworks i don't know why but it's almost like i've got this triangle of just so we've got the connectivity and the and the healing but then mm. there's also this data that you uniquely bring mm. and you know data is not something i would normally put with healing really although of course it has a place and it's also mm. not necessarily in my map of the world. And, and so I'm, I'm assuming that for at least some of our listeners, it would be the same is when I think of connectivity, mm. I don't also think about data. So you bring this mm. unique combination, Joe, of these three things. And, and you're also, I'm also hearing your, your vision for a different kind of world to use data in a different way. Would that be right? Yes, I would say that that's very true. Um, 
Yeah, that's and it's kind of the way I, I sort of visualized it. So, you know, when you have an appreciation of how much data floats around, if you like, about us all, about each of us individually, um, I, I sort of saw it as as we began to use these systems and began to use these technologies, and in many respects, absolutely wonderful. You know, the connectivity we're experiencing right here is is um, a fantastic shift um, from 20 years ago. When, when this level of connectivity and communication so easily and so fluidly over such vast distances just wouldn't be possible. So it's, it's a really amazing thing, but there's data driving all of this communication and there's data used to, to drive the algorithms that connect us and decide what information to put in front of us and what we might like to be seeing, et cetera. There's data driving all of that. Um, but I, I felt very strongly that it, 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 yes, absolutely. That the 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 value of that could be redirected, um, and through the process of redirecting a, a significant portion of the value from that, we would give a different energy, if you like, to the whole concept of data. Because certainly, it doesn't have a it doesn't have particularly good press mm. from the public perspective. If you see what I mean? Um, people see it as something which uh, can be invasive and and challenging and and and. Um, a, bit, a little bit of the big brother going on and all that kind of stuff with, mm. with this sort of volumes of data. Um, the other thing I saw happening was, as, as I say, as these systems began to develop and we began to use them, if you can imagine this sort of, uh, almost like an ether surrounding the planet, my visual, visual of that, you've got a, this, this intangible data sphere that surrounds the planet, that where all of this connectivity is happening, all of this tremendous amount of information about us, our activities, what we buy, what we do, what we watch is stored. And a lot of the attention just seems to, I just saw it as the attention was just being going up and just being lost and being spent there too much. So the idea was, well, also, you know, good connection would effectively see some of that attention and that energy and that value being redirected back to a grounded place, um, reality of, of, you know, the trees and the plants, the birds and the bees and, and, and the pumping heart and, and blood of human beings, if that makes sense, as well as perhaps our spirit too. Um, and you know, I, I felt very strongly that that was something that could be could be manifested if there was a will to do so. Um, and I think we came up certainly with the business designs and the commercial concepts that could help achieve that. Um, yeah, so that's that's why I felt um, data could do more, frankly and in a sense, almost be more as well. Yeah, and it's so interesting just listening to you because uh, obviously, probably like a lot of people, I've, I've watched The Social Network on, on, uh, on um, gosh, I can't remember the name of it, Netflix. <laughs> no. Oh, the social, the social Dilemma. So, social Dilemma, thank you, yeah, yes. on, uh, yeah. on Netflix. And, and, and for the first time, and obviously only a little snapshot is, is, is what I've got from that, is this, this growing awareness of, of a lack of privacy that I wasn't aware that I'd agreed to. Let's put it that way. So it's fascinating what you're talking about to me because it's almost like we've got to a place now with data and I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional by the people, but it's like data is in service of profit. Now mm. you're talking about data in service of purpose, which is mm. diametrically opposed, isn't it? Um, well, 
It, yes, I, I, at the moment it is. Right. Um, that's true. <laughs> it does. At the moment it is. I think. I think you're right. And and yeah, the issue with 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 the the way the data is applied and utilised, and the social dilemma did quite a good job, I think, of, of yeah. clarifying and and. I mean, it dramatized it to a degree, but it, it's not incorrect insofar as the algorithms really don't care about anything other than ensuring they have your attention and as much of your attention as they can get. Um, uh, and, and, and their purpose is their purposes to do that to make profit. That's it. That's right. it. Um, so, you know, and I think I think the social dilemma was right in terms of the way it communicated that. Um, uh, but but it could change, and and it, you know ultimately anything can change. It's uh, ultimately you know I've always felt very strongly that that you know we're in charge, and anything that manifests um, in the world is it comes from us ultimately. So you know it's, 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 as we will it if you if you like. So so it can change. It could change. Um, there's many 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 people, and a lot of people with significant um, funds that. Uh, I think you know, but the, the investor community is is extremely nervous. Um, it could change, but there's also a great deal of um, fear and challenge against the idea of this changing as well. Um, there's a lot of barriers for sure for for that change. There's uh, you know, huge barriers um, uh, and barriers that are big enough to to certainly scare off the vast majority. I think of the of, of the investment community in anything outside of the existing hegemony, perhaps. Mm. Um, and that's that's an issue, I think. So you know, that's an issue. Yeah, and that's what that was the other piece that you'd said that really stood out to me is you know, if there's a will, you know, mm. if if the populace really wants this to happen, then it almost becomes mm. an inevitable kind of trend. You know, that like you described, Sir Ronnie Cohen was talking about. It's almost, and, and I have a feeling that this is an inevitable trend and, and that's just my opinion and I'll own it, mm. but I, I don't know the timeline to get mm. there. So, mm. you know, and I, I do wonder about this middle space that you talked about when you made your decision of, you know, what, what business model you were going to go with in terms yeah. of good karma media. And I think about the middle ground and it sounds to me like this is a space that's alive for you as well, which is mm. not just profit and not just purpose, but mm. purpose and profit. Do you believe that's possible? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I absolutely do because I think, I think this, I think those systems, this, you know, these, when we talk about purpose and profit, we, we're talking about, if we boil that down, we're, we're fundamentally talking about the concepts of self and the concept of other. Mm. Um, and I mean, you know, the great Alan Watts, as he points out, um, both need to exist for either to be recognized. Um, you know, the, the coin physically has to have two sides. Um, a one-sided coin simply cannot exist. So, and and I think that actually what's been happening is if we it's, it's just a question of perspective here. Um, you know, the traditional model historically was you've got the business sector that drives and makes profit. You've got the third sector, the nonprofit sector, which focuses on um, the provision of, of charity. Um, and and they're very separate. And as human beings, we go and do our, our day jobs and we, we, we earn money and we focus on models which are about driving self forward. And that's very intelligent because we, you know, at least we're not a burden to others when we're doing that. We've got to do our best to 
to find our own creativity, find our own path and, and sustain ourselves. I'm a big, big fan of that, certainly. Um, and then once, once business has done its, done its part, we can make a decision. If we've made enough profit or we've got enough time on our hands, then we can consider going and doing something charitable. And this was the old model. Um, and I just always felt not only does that not give people much choice, you've got these two extremes about how you decide you want to move forward. Um, and there's a penalty for doing either, if you like. <laughs> Different penalties, but penalties for doing either. Um, surely there has to be a way that we can bring them together. The reality is in a systemic perspective, um, it's just a question of scale. It, it, it's going on anyway, because we, are, we have systems which deliver charity in the world, and we have systems which deliver profit. So it's just a question of uh, whether you want those systems to be kind of separate, but existing within, within a big system, a huge overarching system, or or you bring them together more closely into organizational models, perhaps. So that's, that's just a question of scale and perspective, in my view. I don't, you know, it's always been the case um, that we've had to focus on, to a degree, on this concept of managing and balancing these concepts of self and other. Um, I, think it, I think there's an opportunity through social enterprise models to make that, to, to bring that balance down to a more personal level. Um, and, and great. And if it's a clever model, actually, Jane, my, you know, my view is of a good social enterprise. If the model is smart and intelligent, um, you, you actually can weave the doing of the good and the creating of the good uh, from a kind of a commercial perspective doesn't have to necessarily be a cost um, and sort of purely a cost. It can enhance and create more value. And if you look at someone like Alex Edmonds, uh, a wonderful book called Grow the Pie, which we're quite big advocates of. He's the professor of uh, finance at the London Business School. Um, and his book, Growing the Pie, is extremely interesting, very, very rigorous, and good examples of how actually businesses that do focus on purpose and do consider this concept of other, if you like, um, actually, in the mid and long term, they just end up driving more value, more growth, um, more stability and security for themselves. And there's a growing bodies of evidence which are showing that um, it's, it's not only the right thing to do from a moral perspective, it's actually the intelligent thing to start doing from a commercial perspective. Mm. And I think that's really good. Uh, I think that's, 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 that's great. It needs to be there because we, we're not in a place where we can get rid of the system of, of money yet. Um, we, we've got to work with it, live with it, use it. Um, and until we can, until we can somehow evolve that out of the situation, we've we've got to find ways to to make it work together. Yeah, and you know, and I love that you've spoken to you know the how a little bit because you know, in many ways, I've been an advocate of this message for probably about a decade now. Mm. And one of the things I've noticed going into organizations and, you know, talking or trying to broaden the perspective, um, it's what I noticed is that data, so it's almost like in a presentation, if I was doing like a sales presentation, a presentation needed to have the data as a foundation for people. So I had to make the case with data, but what really fired people up was in the emotion and the stories and the purpose and the fact that they had the potential to connect what they were doing professionally with something beyond just chasing the money. Yeah. And 
and I'd and I, I'd love to get a sense. You know, what does the data tell you about where we are? You mentioned it a little bit earlier, and we're a bit of a third of the way through Sir Ronnie Cohen's mm. kind of like journey over this thirty years. But I just wonder because I also heard David White the other day talking about the fact that you know the conversations of the world, the conversations mm. we're having. Are, are changing and one conversation now is beginning to come to an end but we haven't yet got the language and the words for the new paradigms for the new conversation for where we're headed <laughs> and I just found that very interesting because here we are and this seems to be a theme running through our conversation this middle way we're like in this in-between space. That's sometimes yeah. what it feels like to me. And how we define and what we do in this space potentially could define who we become, not just as individuals, but as species. Don't you think? I think, yeah, I think it's, it's got the potential um, to, to, to create change at, at that level. Um, it, it's a, you know, it's a, if we see business at a global scale beginning to adopt um, systems, approaches, methodologies, which have purpose in it, much more inherently built in. And all the benefits, wonderful benefits that we're beginning to understand come from that, not just from a, a sort of a moral and, and looking out the window perspective, but also from inside these organizations as they begin to experience that. Um, and I think as that, as that continues to grow, uh, yeah, it could be very interesting. It, 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 it could be that we could see the change happen at a, at a scale and a level that, that has been talked about and hoped for for quite some time amongst various communities, I'm sure. Mm. But I think the business is perhaps the, well, my personal view is that at a practical level, solving the social and environmental issues that we have at a scale that's required and in a consistent enough way and in a persistent enough and consistent enough way can only be achieved by the engine of the business you know the engine of business mm. that's my view it has been for a long time and it's what i i wrote gosh i did i did my mba thesis at cas business school 20 years ago um and my thesis was very much focused on how how and why the business world needed to change and the premise was the only way we're going to solve these problems is if we get business on board because that's the real driver of so it's a big driver of a great deal in our world um and it's it's the engine that's got the power to deliver that change in my view so i think it could happen jane and i do think we're in this in-between space which you reference um maybe that's transitional maybe that's a maybe that's a, you know a number of years that or decades or whatever that we end up moving into this 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 50 50 space before moving into i don't know 100 years down the line of a collective mindset i have no idea but um it may be that it's transitional or it may be that actually this is where the truth for us does sit because uh, you know the reason i'm drawn to it so strongly is um I i'm not yet at that stage certainly not yet at that stage where i can completely let go of um and i'm sort of tried to a degree sometimes at periods in my life but where one completely lets go of the ego and the sense of self that's that's a heck of a thing to achieve, and I take my hat off to anybody who's there. I guess, um, although they wouldn't see it as an achievement. Right. <laughs> yeah, is of course the irony of that one. That's but, right. Um, yeah, indeed. But um, uh, using that term, I guess. But um, no. So so this idea, you know, you one has to find ways and means to, for most of us, 
to, to look after oneself and one's family and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, and so, but at the same time, yes, we want to create an impact. We want to uh, help other people and help the planet. And, and in a way, it was no surprise to me when this started happening. I thought, well, of course not, it's because, because it's, it's fundamentally all connected. You know, of course it is. Uh, yeah. You just have to take a half step back and that, that's pretty obvious. Um, so it, it's no surprise that people feel better when, when they're delivering purpose and when they're helping other people because guess what? You know, the connection between you is 100% real. There's no separation, as we know, in reality. So, so it, it should come as no surprise, really, that, uh, that we feel better and we, we're more energised, indeed, which can be very productive and, and helpful. Um, when we are doing things for other, mm. it's really interesting because um, I'm re I've just started reading a book which I absolutely love. It's called Alchemy: The Dark Art and Curious Science of Creating Magic in Brands, Business, and Life. And it's written by Rory Sutherland, um, okay. you know, who harks from Ogilvy. And one of the things he talks about, and I'm hearing this kind of thread come through you as well here in this conversation, is he talks about data in business. Mm. And he talks about how, you know, business cases, if you're going to make the business case to finance something with an mm. external consultant or an agency, then you need to be able to have the data as foundational to underpin it. But the problem with that rational, logical argument of making a case is that there's no space for magic. And what he says is that in his uh, experience mm. with Ogilvy over the decades, he's noticed that some of the most popular um, uh, ways of capturing attention for their clients comes from completely illogical approaches <laughs> where they just bring in what he can only describe as magic in a way. There's no data underpinning it. It's just almost like an intuitive sense that mm. finding these little things that we so easily overlook because in business, you know, generally speaking, we're so driven by data. What's yes. your sense of that? Um, there's, there's lots of different ways that that question could be answered, I guess. Um, the I mean, what I what springs to mind for me around that, Jane, you're talking about the intuitive. Yeah. Um, if you like, you know, data is is essentially information. Um, uh, external and from our perspective, it's external information. Um, I've seen some interesting models from the, you know, from a physics perspective, which talks about the fact that the, that the universe, the actual reality itself is fundamentally something that's just built on information. Mm. Um, so the intuitive, when we see the intuitive going on, I do wonder that, you know, the internal um, aspect, uh, you know, of us is from some perspectives contains a lot of data as well if you want to call it that there's a lot of we hold a lot of information and we process it and we're working through it um there's there's quite a lot going on and so you know the subconscious is doing a lot of that work um and but what's really happening in us is you know we're processing i believe anyway we're processing information at such a fine um and amazing level that we you know we're not consciously aware of it and that intuition depends on your view. One could argue that intuition is connected to, to, to more going on out externally beyond us, and perhaps it is. Um, 
and and that can sometimes drive this this magic the right answer but it but yes it's you know letting go of the rational sometimes is important um i think that that's 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 you know it's kind of it's reasonable if you like because um uh, because let, because the rational doesn't doesn't always you can't give you the full picture um as human beings we can't see the full picture when we look at the rational because because we're looking at it with our conscious mind and we all know that's incredibly limited so so you know to a degree we can try to find our way but with with rationality um but but ultimately, ultimately, it can never be as, as, as interesting and as powerful as, I suppose, what you might call irrationality, but I would just say a, a, a broader connectivity. Um, because, because actually our, our kind of our field of vision and our field of cognizance as human beings is, is really pretty limited. So relying purely on, on rationality, at one level you could argue is pretty stupid. Yeah. And, you know, I, I totally hear that and I get it. And I'm, I'm with you. I think it is connectivity because one of the words I use a lot is resonance. And for me, some of the, the older paradigms, particularly living here in America, um, mm. some of the older paradigms that are still very, very alive where the irrational is completely ignored and it really is all about the the, lo the logical rational case mm. using the data to show you you know what you should be doing to make even more money because mm. there's never mm. enough it's just like more 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 <laughs> right um and i just wonder like you've set up this company in the uk you know you are working with some you know substantial brands and yes. i just wonder what is different in your leadership, Joe, that enables you, and I'm gonna make an assumption, so please tell me if I'm wrong, but enables mm. you to hold the space for connectivity, to hold the space for data, and then to use that as a force for good. And I could say there, healing, <laughs> what's mm. not working so well in the business world. What's mm. different about your leadership that enables that capacity within your business? Um, it's a very good question. I think, I think, I think the honest answer is we're, we're, we're at an early stage. So, um, however, so, you know, there isn't, there isn't quite enough information, I would argue, to say that um, we've got, um, you know, absolutely hard proof that the leadership style that we adopt has, has got us to where we need to be yet. But having said that, I will say that we do seem to be, um, and it's wonderful and it's very encouraging, we do seem to be attracting some great people, really wonderful, high quality individuals who want to come and um, work with us, um, be part of what we're trying to achieve with Good Karma Media. Um, and are achieving indeed, as you say, we're working with some great brands. Um, and I think that the leadership style is, is, is one of, uh, attentiveness mm -hmm. it's one of being very open um, and wanting to create a space where um, you know people can achieve there's alignment certainly has to has to be there I think isn't it you know that's going back to rationality that that's a, that's a, that's a starting position um, you know so alignment is certainly great but once that's 
I think established and I think that's very important for the direction we're in um, because that speaks to authenticity and I think the authenticity is important for the quality and the care that comes through in the work. Um, but uh, certainly it's about creating a space, I've always believed very strongly in creating a space where people can, can experience um, who they are fully. Very often we, we, we have to be something else when we're at work than, what we really, than who we really are. And there's, you know, there's some, there are some reasons for that, of course. We have to have, um, you know, collective systems to, to work um, with together and protocols. And when you're a big organisation, that's, that's fine. And I do appreciate and understand why those are absolutely necessary. But at the same time, I think that there has to be, again, this middle ground where we can create space for people to be more of who they are and bring that to work. Because I think that when you do bring more of who you really are to work, you bring more energy and you bring more productivity, you bring more creativity um, and you're happier, which is, you know, great. But, you know, sometimes we lose the why, I think, in all of, in all that we do sometimes. We, we, lose, this un, we lose this sight of the why. Um, you know, and my view is that's why business exists to serve humankind. Um, and so the end result is a world that we are, that we are happy in, and that we are um, purposeful in. Um, and if, we're, if the systems and the things that we're doing aren't creating that or taking us towards that circumstance for, I would argue, certainly the majority of people and as many of, and as much balance with the minorities of people as possible, if you like, but just, just for the most people, if we're not achieving stuff that's achieving that, uh, we're not doing stuff that's achieving that, not creating systems that puts them in place, then what's the point? You know, so um, I suppose, and that, that really is where the conscious, any conscious leadership comes from. It's about keeping, keeping the fundamental why at the heart of everything we do, be it, be it work or non-work. Um, and, and hopefully that, that creates a little more space and a little more um, liberation, if you like, for people that work with us to, to, to get a chance to be who they are. Um, that's what I, I would like to think. Um, and I think the other thing comes through this, the creation of the vehicle itself and purpose and people very, you know, are keen to, aligned people certainly um, are, are driven to, to get involved with anything that's creating purpose and more purpose because they appreciate both the external and the internal benefits that that, that can bring about, uh, I think. So, um, yeah. Uh, so good conscious leadership, in short, is, is looking at both internal and external elements, I think, uh, when it's delivered effectively. Mm, thank you. That was just so nicely said. I, re I really enjoy that. I particularly like when you said, you know, keep the fundamental why, <clears throat> excuse me, at the heart of what we do. Because yeah. I, I do believe, if I think to some of my clients in my client base, I do think that, you know, they do have, they are keeping, <clears throat> let's put, a why um, at the heart of what they do and it's driving their systems and their organizational systems but sometimes that why is just a relentless pursuit of more when I think mm. we need to shift the why <laughs> sometimes mm. as well but you, you're doing it so beautifully in Good Karma Media that um, I love the way that you talk about your leadership and and really what you stand for in the world because it's 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 so aligned for me towards the future that 
certainly I personally would like us to go towards and, and no doubt you too. So I love that. Joe, I'm noticing the time. So I'm just going to ask you one final question. Sure. If there's anything you'd hoped we'd get to today, something that you'd like to share with our listeners, what might it be? I think that um, what I would like to share with the listeners um, is to, we've all got our own individual journeys, um, but to consider um, perhaps, is there a way that you can bring more of yourself and more um, purpose into, um, and be that an idea, be that a, uh, something you put forward or you project or something you do, um, into the workplace, um, where we spend so much of our time. Um, and I would just, just gently suggest um, and ask for consideration around, around that. Um, and the more we can get people doing that, then, then the more we'll see a continuing shift. Mm. That's a great question. Thank you. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming to uh, this conversation today. You shared so much value. I know that our listeners are going to get so much insight. So thank you so much for being with us. Not at all. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's been very interesting. <laughs> I really enjoyed the conversation too, Jane. Thank you. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Now, before we go, I want to remind you that all of the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And our growing community of changemakers are actually our sponsors who help us to keep doing our work in the world. We're a network of people committed to making the world a better place. We support each other to grow personally and professionally. And together, we're making a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. So if you're interested, I invite you to take a look. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.